0: We're continuing our series of teachings through a series called Life Beneath the Surface. And over the course of this series, we're asking a really fundamental question. What does it mean for Jesus to transform us deep beneath the surface of our lives? That God is not just after you believing certain things or behaving in certain ways, but that Jesus wants to transform you deep beneath the surface of your life. And so throughout the course of this series, we've had different objectives, and a few objectives that just bear repeating are as follows, that we want to grow in naming, recognizing, and managing our own feelings. There's lots that's happening beneath the surface of our souls. How do we grow in doing these things? How do we grow in praying our feelings? How do we grow in our capacity to be present to others and what's going on in their own lives? And how do we grow in discerning the deeper messages beneath our emotions if we can do this well this will change your family this will change our local church this will change the nature of your relationships this will change your dating relationships your married relationships your parenting across the board and Jesus is interested not just in transforming what's going on above the surface he wants to transform us beneath the surface and so so far we focused on three particular areas in week one we talked about the emotional life of Jesus In week two we talked about anger last week we talked about anxiety today we're not going to talk specifically about something that's happening inside of us so much as we're talking about a context, a practice, a discipline that can help us look beneath the surface. Today we're going to talk about solitude, the practice of solitude. And there's a passage of scripture out of the gospel of Luke chapter 5. You can follow along uh, in your Bible. Does anyone bring their Bible to church anymore? Uh, You can follow along in your Bible. I see that hand. I see that Bible. I see that Bible. Or on your device. No shade here. On your device or on the screen or on the screen. Luke chapter 5 beginning at verse number 15 and verse 16. Hear the word of the Lord. It says, Yet the news about him, that is Jesus, spread all the more, so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. And then verse 16, we're going to spend a lot of time on this one verse here. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed as the church let's let's read that verse 16 let's read it together but jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed solitude solitude to be alone is not an easy thing that word solitude for some people is a blessing and that word solitude for some people is a challenge Because to be alone, depending on who you are, can be a significant challenge. And yet, we cannot understand the spiritual life and spiritual transformation in the name of Jesus without talking about the importance of the practice and the discipline of solitude. That God longs to meet you. That God longs to commune with you. That God longs to speak to you. But we often need a particular environment to help us attune our ear to the voice of God. We need a particular environment to to align our heart with what God is doing in a particular moment. And one thing I've discovered in my 25 plus years of following Jesus is the indispensable practice of solitude. I remember the first experience I had with solitude when I was about 21, 22 years of age. I was at a retreat at a Franciscan monastery in Bear Mountain, New York, a, a retreat center called Graymoor. And I was with about 30 other college students for a class. And the professor took us to different parts on, in, the, in the monastery and said, I'm going to leave you here for about six hours, and I will come back to collect you in six hours. But in that time, I don't want you to move from this specific location. I want you to get to God. I want you to listen to God. I want you to just be with God in that one particular space. And so the professor had me stay in this particular area. And for him, he said, Rich, it seems like this view here, you're going to have that view before you for the rest of your life as a pastor. So I want to get you accustomed to being there, but being in this particular space. And so as a 22-year-old, I was there for six hours. Thankfully, it wasn't snowing that day. It wasn't cold. It was a really nice day, a beautiful spring day. But for six hours, I found myself in solitude. Now, I'd be lying to you if I told you that every single moment was like heavenly. Like every moment, God was giving me another revelation. And I was just like, oh, what is that, Lord? Oh, yeah, I hear that. Uh, It was nothing like that at all. For most of the time, I was crushing ants, and just like, and, and there goes another one, and crushing ants, and, 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 and then I would get bored and just stare out, or, or I'd just fall asleep on the communion table. I don't know if the, if the monks saw that. They would have been really upset. I was falling asleep, and then I'd fall asleep, and like uh, five minutes later, I wake up thinking like an hour and a half has passed. And then I wake up, only five minutes and five more hours to go in this place. And so for the most part, it was boring. For the most part, it was uneventful. For the most part, nothing seemed to happen, and yet something did happen. Because in various moments, as I had my journal and I was listening to God as a 22-year-old, I really sensed as if God, at various moments over those six hours, had kissed my soul. That my soul was kissed by God. That God had met me in that moment of communion, in that moment of solitude. Something had happened deep down in my soul, so much so that when I went back to the college campus with my 30 uh, college friends, I was looking for places to get along with God. It actually felt like I was doing something wrong, something illicit. I was looking for a quiet space for me and God just to connect. Why? Because God had kissed my soul. That I had enough space in my life to open myself up to the presence of God in such a way that I wanted more of it. And let me ask you a question. When's the last time you really sensed God kissing your soul? When's the last time you really sensed union with God in such a way where you said, I have to get to God. I have to find myself in a place where I can hear the voice of God. That is the practice of solitude. And so what is solitude? If I can make it plain for us today, solitude is about a life that uh, creates space to connect with God. That's what it simply is, a life that creates space to connect with God. Or another way of thinking about it is that solitude is about converting our aloneness into attentiveness. That at some point in our lives or another, you will be alone. Whether that aloneness is for an hour, whether that aloneness is while your kids are at school, amen, somebody, and you have that space. Whether that aloneness comes because your children have moved out of the house or you find yourself in a situation where you are more alone than ever before. Solitude is about converting our aloneness into attentiveness. Note what solitude is not. Solitude is not simply about creating distance from people more so than it is about resisting distance between me and god and me and myself solitude is not simply about creating distance from others it's about resisting the distance that's created between me and god and me and myself which is why we can practice solitude even in the city that never sleeps Even in a very busy society, you and I don't have to escape to the mountains or the monastery to encounter God. It can be done right here, right now. And we were made for this. We were made for communion with God. And yet one of the things, one of the realities that's true for every single one of us is this. We are rarely alone. Back in the day, we used to get home, and if we were home by ourselves or got home before anyone else, one of the first things that we would do is turn the TV on or turn on the radio just to give a sense that we're not alone in this silence. We might not do that today, but one of the things we are very keen on doing is turning on our phones and finding ourselves and our homes and our hearts crowded because of these devices. That technology for all the gifts that it has brought to us has, is also infringing upon our lives. Invading our lives. Sometimes in helpful ways, many times in unhelpful ways. We find ourselves rarely alone. And yet what God is inviting us into is a rhythm of being with him. A rhythm of communion with him. A rhythm of receiving what he desires to pour out on us. And this is what we see in Luke chapter 5 with our Lord Jesus Christ. In Luke chapter 5, it is a regular day in the office for Jesus. He's busy yet again. His life is full once again. Every single person is going to Jesus because they know that in his life and in his hands is power to heal. In his life and in his hands is power to raise the dead. And so people would come to Jesus who had demons in them, and they would bring their family members to Jesus or sicknesses, and Jesus would heal them and send them on their way. And so word starts getting around that in Jesus is healing, and so many people start flocking to him. Jesus recognizes at this point in the story in the Gospel of Luke That he needs some people around him to help him be a healing presence as well. And so he raises up 12 disciples to help him manage all of the pressure, all of the demands that are coming his way. He identifies 12 disciples, and what we find in the scriptures is this true reality that his disciples would give him as much trouble as the demons in the way they bickered with one another in their own immaturity. Jesus never had a day off in the way that we would want a day off. Everything kept coming to him, and everyone kept coming to him. It reminds me, after Hurricane Sandy, do you remember that there was a gas shortage and that people uh, were trying to find places in the city to pump up gas? It was a bad situation. And I remember someone sending me a website saying, there's a website that can give you some, some, some uh, inf- private information uh, to let you know when the next gas delivery is going to be made to a particular location in Queens and the time they're going to deliver it. And I thought to myself, wow, I'm the only person in Queens with this information. <laughs> this is really wonderful. And so I'd get up the next morning and type up and go, oh, at 5 a.m., they're going to deliver this to whatever gas station. And so I remember getting up early in the morning. As a matter of fact, there's a gas station right across the street from our church. And I remember getting up early in the morning thinking no one else in Queens is privy to this information I have. Only to find out that when I got there, there's already a line just like this. How did they get this information as well? When you look at Luke chapter 5, Jesus is the only gas station in town. And everyone is going to him. Everyone knows he's the only one who has what we need to help us take the next step in our life. And so everyone is flocking to Jesus. And Jesus, in light of that, steps away because of the demands on his life. And you and I know what this feels like. You and I know what it's like to go from one thing to the next. You and I know what it's like to fill our calendars in such a way where it leaves no margin to be with God, no margin to listen to the voice of the Spirit, no margin to commune with Jesus. Jesus understood this fully more than anyone else, and yet Jesus practiced this discipline of solitude. In Luke five sixteen, it says, But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Every word in this verse is really important and I want to explore every word just about every word in this verse the first word I want you to pay attention to is the word Jesus but Jesus the reason this word is important is because Jesus the Son of the Living God Alpha and Omega the fully human fully divine one needed the practice of solitude you would think that if anyone in the world could work nonstop, it would be Jesus. If there's anyone who had infinite capacity, it would be Jesus. If there's anyone who had unlimited energy reserves, it would be Jesus. If there's anyone who could hold on to the demands of people around them, it would be Jesus. And yet Jesus recognizes in his humanity that he needed to step away to get to the Father. And if this is true of Jesus, if I can use a good biblical phrase, how much more? Is this true of you? How much more should this be true of me? That we do not have unlimited reserves, that we do not have an unending capacity, that we get tired, that we get irritable, that we get angry, that we get uh, ups and downs. The first word that's so important, it's Jesus. And if Jesus does it, he invites his followers to do it as well. The first word is Jesus. The next word is often, often. I love that word often. Jesus often withdrew. He often withdrew. And the emphasis is on the word often because for Jesus, he did not wait until he was spiritually depleted before he practiced solitude. I know what it's like to live a week where nonstop, things are going nonstop, and then I go, you know what? I'm tired and I'm mad and I'm angry. I think I should be praying today. We know what it's like to wait until we are on our last thread. Come on, somebody. And, you, and you're, done, you're screaming at the kids and slamming the doors and irritable at your coworkers, And you go, you know what? I think I need to pray. I think, yeah, you do need to pray. You need to pray. But we wait until we have zero reserves until we get to God. Not for Jesus. Jesus often, he regularly practiced this discipline. And this is important because this is what I know to be true about your life and mine. Jesus often withdrew because Jesus often experienced challenges. And every single day, you are experiencing challenges. Every single day. I don't need to know much about your life to know that life is hard, that life is full, that life can get overwhelming, that life regularly comes at you with some challenges. And if challenges are regularly coming your way, you and I need to regularly get to God. There's too much coming at you for you to have a, I'll get to God next week kind of feel. God longs to pour out his life every single day. Jesus often. Often. The next word is withdrew. I like that word because in the Greek language, it gives this connotation of someone who's taking refuge from danger. He's not just stepping away to just avoid people. He recognizes the larger danger. What's the danger? Here's the danger for you and me. The danger is we can live a life out of communion with God. We can live a life doing things for God without communion with God. And that is a danger to our soul. What's the danger? The danger is self-deception. The danger is living on our own resources. The danger is us saying, essentially, my kingdom come, my will be done. But Jesus withdrew. He creates distance. He steps away. And I know how hard this is to step away. It's very difficult to do it. But Jesus, he withdraws himself to lonely places, two lonely places. He creates distance. Now I know what some of you are saying already, Pastor Rich, how am I going to do that in my 900 square foot apartment? There are no lonely places in my nine, with all my children and all the rest. I I get it, I get it, which is why we are to create solitude and be creative with it, which by the way, the bathroom can be a wonderful place of solitude. (laughs) Dad, how long are you going to be in there? Leave me alone. And the next time they knock on that door, say, I'm, I'm, I'm with Jesus right now. I'm just with Jesus. Lonely places and prayed. There's actually something about creating distance, geographical distance, knowing that at the end of the day, solitude, once again, is not about creating distance from other people, but remaining close to God and to myself. And yet there is such a gift of finding lonely places. And I want to invite you over the course of this week to be thinking about what would it look like for me to create distance, to step away from technology, to step away as much as I can from the noise of the world to get to God. But notice what Jesus does here. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. It might sound obvious to you, but it's not obvious to us. Because I think about my own life, and I wonder if you think about yours. How would that verse look like if it was describing your life and mine? Because when we get to lonely places, we don't pray. It says something like John withdrew to a lonely place and updated his Facebook status. <laughs> or Jane withdrew to a lonely place and scrolled through Instagram. Finally, I'm alone. Or Rich, that's me, withdrew to a lonely place and watched the New York Jets game. Like, leave me alone. It's me me and Jay, me and the Jets, you know what I'm saying? Not me and Jay, me and the Jets. But I love that Jesus prays. He gets the Father, and he's there to pray, to be with God, to receive from God, and to offer his heart to God. Why? Why does Jesus do this? I want to offer three reasons why I think Jesus practiced solitude and why Jesus is inviting you to practice solitude as well. The first reason Jesus practiced solitude is because solitude was a place to reclaim his core identity. Look at Jesus' ministry. There's lots happening around him. He's preaching. He's healing. He's helping the sick. He's, he's, he's in conversation and in debate with religious leaders. There's a lot going on, and a lot of people have things to say about Jesus. A lot of people have opinions about Jesus. Some people loved him. Some people hated him. Some people thought he was the son of the living God. Other people thought he was a tool of the evil one. Some people wanted to um, uh, welcome him into their lives. Others wanted to crucify him. Every single day, Jesus had competing thoughts about what people felt and thought about him. And so in solitude, he returned to the Father, not simply to escape those voices, because sometimes those voices are really close to us, but to listen to the voice of the Father, to reclaim his core identity. This is why solitude and silence is so important. I remember Thomas Merton, the great writer, once said that that in prayer, listen to this, we wait for a word that we cannot give to ourselves. In prayer, we wait for a word that we cannot give to ourselves. We, We wait for a word from God to be spoken over our lives. And yet, this is so hard because of the competing voices that live within us solitude gives us an opportunity as painful as it might be at the beginning to discern the voice of the father spoken over me to hear the voice that truly matters and yet i know this to be true my mind gets attuned to so many other voices in 2019 when i went on a four-month sabbatical i took a sabbatical as well from social media and i rented out a little a little hermitage, a little house in Long Island, uh, where I would, on, a, on a, and a retreat center, where I would be praying for about three to four days. And I remember the first day, the day before, I got off of all social media. I got off of social media. I asked Rosie if she could change my password, because I don't trust myself. And I said, <laughs> I'd be on this. So I have her change my password. And then I got to the hermitage, opened my journal, and my first thought was, That wasn't my first thought, but my first thought, whatever. My first thought was, I wonder if anyone misses me on social media. (laughs) My first thought was, I wonder if anyone's thinking about me. I wonder if they're saying, wow, I I just really miss what Rich posts. And, and, And I really felt that God was saying, no one's thinking about you at all. They forgot about you very quickly. But you know what? It became an opportunity for me to center my heart on the voice that really matters, the voice of God's love spoken over me. And yet it's so hard to live into this. Henry Nyland once said that um, when we panic, when there's nothing or nobody left to distract us, when we have no project to finish, no friend to visit, no book to read, no television to watch, no record to play, and when we are left all alone by ourselves, We are brought so close to the revelation of our basic human aloneness and are so afraid of experiencing an all-pervasive sense of loneliness that we will do anything to get busy again and continue the game which makes us all believe that everything is fine after all. Jesus goes into solitude because it's a place to reclaim his true identity. But secondly, solitude trains us to abide in God. Solitude is a practice that trains us to live, to dwell, to be with God. It's one of the reasons why in the Gospel of John, chapter 15, I love what Jesus says to his disciples. As he's about to go to the cross, he spent three years with his disciples. He's he's talked about the kingdom of God. He's preached sermons. He's cast out demons. He's healed the sick. He's raised the dead. And now he's summarizing his ministry with his disciples. And he tells them in John 15, over and over again, Abide in me, and I in you. Remain in me, and I in you. Dwell with me. Live with me. Walk with me, and I in you. And that word dwell is a word in the gospel of John that shows up 63 times in the gospel of John, remain in me and I in you. And I recognize how easy it is for me not to abide in God, to remain in God, to stay, so, to stay close to God. I think about this every time I'm in the office. When I come into church, um, in the office, one of the first things I am prone to do, I, th- I have all the stuff I need to think about, and I drop my bags, and I get on my whiteboard, and I just start writing and things I need to do. Oh, i got to do this as well. I've spent no time with God whatsoever, but i just got to do this, and i got to do that, and i got to do this. Which, which, by the way, I just need to say that pastors don't have, like, a secret sauce or special ability or unique anointing to connect with God. I don't have anything that you don't have. It's it's as hard for me as it is for everyone else to get time to withdraw to be with God. And so I'll show up on my whiteboard. And so uh, my my children from time to time on Sundays love scribbling notes on my whiteboard. And some of the the notes that they write are really wonderful. Notes like, um, best pastor in the world. I mean, come on now. Come on now, that's beautiful. (laughs) Or they'll draw pictures of me, with, and in and, and these pictures, somehow, I have like lots of hair on the side and no hair on the top there, very offensive. And then there are other notes. The other day, I came into our church and, and I went, I took through my bag down and I gotta do this, and I gotta do this, I gotta do this, and as I look up on the board, there's a note from one of my kids saying, did you pray today? Feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit? <laughs> did, did you pray today? And I was just like, ah, oh, let me erase that. Let me erase that. No, no, I don't. <laughs> My first thought was, no, I didn't pray today. I got too much stuff to do. <laughs> and yet I felt such conviction that I sat down, I put the marker down, and set my timer for 10 minutes and said, come, Holy Spirit. Jesus teaches us to abide in him and solitude is a way that we train our souls to be with God and this isn't easy but our souls desperately need it why because of the fruit of solitude the fruit of solitude is solitude forms us thirdly to love Solitude is not just there so that you can get a break. Solitude is not just there so that you can get a word from God. Solitude is practiced for the purpose of connecting with God in such a way that our lives will be formed in love, that our lives will be formed in grace, that our lives will be formed in compassion, which is why people who make a habit of being with Jesus have the potential To live lives marked by love and marked by grace and marked by compassion. Why? Because you are in the very presence, consciously and attentively, the presence of love, the presence of grace, the presence of mercy. But solitude, the core of solitude. Are you ever wonder why Jesus, Jesus, Henry Nouwen said, Jesus had a ministry of absence and a ministry of presence. And that you and I need both a ministry of presence and a ministry of absence. And look what Jesus does. He's he's healing the sick. He's raising the dead. He's he's at 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 the bottom of the mountain, the foot of the mountain, doing all this work. He's present. And then over and over again, Jesus climbs the mountain to be absent from them but present to God. And then he receives from the father and he goes right back down to the mountain and he heals again. And that pressure down there pushes him back up. But then that love pushes him back down. And this is back and forth. Ministry of presence, ministry of absence. That's what you were made for. I wish I could get away with the stuff that needs to happen every single day. I wish I didn't have to feed our children every single day. It's nonstop. Anyone know what I'm talking about? It's just like, you just ate. It's, it's nonstop. It's not and so I know what it's like to have so much to do, but if I get caught down here, oh, we're in trouble. If I just live down here, I'm in trouble or somebody's in trouble. And so I need to get back up top. But I can't live on the top because God did not arrange this relationship And the spiritual life to just be about me and Jesus. That's not Christianity. Christianity is not me and Jesus. Christianity is let me commune with Jesus because he's sending me back down. And then they're sending me back up. And he's sending me back down. That's the Christian life. And that's what we are invited to because solitude trains us and forms us in love. How do we do this? How do we do it? I wanna get, get super practical on this. There are two kinds of solitudes. There's capital S solitude. That's an S for you, right? Yes? Uh, I'm back, and then lowercase solitude. Capital S solitude, for some of you, you've lived your entire life without ever getting extended time with God. And you know it shows. You know there's something that's missing. I wonder for you, you know why we do a community day alone with God from time to time in our church? Because we want to, as a pastoral team, help you to create space, to get alone with God for five, six, seven hours. Why? Because from time to time, your soul needs it. Extended time with God. And for some of you, I wonder if in the next week or next month, there is a time where you say, I need to get more than just a few minutes I need extended time with God. That's capital S, solitude. But the invitation for all of us, especially today, is lowercase solitude, which is this, that five minutes in the presence of Jesus, attentively, can go a long way. I love that about Jesus, that a little bit in the hands of Jesus goes a long way. There's thousands of people, and he goes, who, who, who has anything to eat? And they go, "Oh, well, there's only a little bit of fish and a little, little bit of bread. He goes, give it to me. I'll work with that. Faith. I, I don't have big faith. He goes, what do you got? What kind of faith do you have? I just got a mustard seed. I, 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 give it to me. Give it to me. Give it to me. I, I'll take care of it. God does not need a lot to do much. A little bit of time can go a long way. And so we are invited, friends. Here's my hope. My hope is that tomorrow, this week, that as a congregation, wherever we find ourselves, wherever we live, that we would take at least five minutes this week to say, I'm going to get to God, and I'm gonna listen for the Spirit, and I'm gonna read scripture, and and this is what you're gonna find. Five minutes is just too little. There's something else that my soul is craving, and why do we do this? We don't do this to get spiritual points. We don't do this to curry favor with God. Here's the good news of the gospel. If you spend two hours of solitude with God this week, God doesn't love you more. And if you go the next two years without any practicing solitude with God, God doesn't love you less. Do you know that God's love for you is steadfast? It's unchanging, it's not connected to any whim. God's love for you is steadfast. We don't get any spiritual points when you practice solitude, but what you do is you respond to the God who's always moving towards us in love, and that is the story of the Bible. The story of the Bible is a story of a God who longs to spend time with his people. The story of the Bible is a story of a God who can't get enough of his creation. And that creation and that people extends to you. God can't get enough of you. And that's what we see from Genesis to Revelation. In Genesis, he creates Adam and Eve in solitude. Amen. And says, I just want to spend time with you. In the cool of the day, God would come to the Garden of Eden just to be with his people. But for Adam and Eve, it wasn't enough to be with God in that space. They wanted to be God. And so they, they take matters into their own hands. They say, my kingdom come, my will be done. And because of sin, they are banished from the garden in Genesis chapter 3. But aren't you glad that the Bible doesn't end with Genesis chapter 3? Amen, somebody. The story continues. And over and over again, we find a God who pursues his people. We find the God who comes after his people. We find the God who wants to experience solitude with his people. And so he delivers the people of God from Egypt and says, I'm going to walk with you. And I'm, I'm going to journey with you. I'm going to talk with you. And so he comes with them in the form of a cloud by day as they're in the wilderness and fire by night. He journeys with them to such a degree where he says, let's get some more solitude time. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to create a space called the most holy place where we're going to dwell together in the holies of holies and in the tabernacle tabernacle. tabernacle. We're going to have this relationship. But over and over again, the people of God say, I don't want this solitude with you. I don't want this relationship with you. My kingdom come, my will be done. And their sin, their rebellion leads them to exile. And as they are alone in a foreign land, God doesn't say, that's what you get. God keeps coming after his people. He sends prophets their way. He has love notes for them. Come back home to me. I want to spend time with you. God comes in a cloud and a fire and a tabernacle and a temple through prophets. And then that wasn't enough. He said, I'm going to come myself. I need to be with these people myself. I can't get enough of them. And so in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. God communes with the people of God. Jesus dies for our sins, raised on the third day, ascends to the right hand of the Father, sends the Spirit of the living God to be with us. And the Bible ends with God coming down so that we could experience union with Him. Do you know that God can't get enough of you? And God longs to be in your company. Solitude, then, is our response the graciousness of God who pursues us every single day. We don't practice it to curry favor with God. We've already received the favor of God in Jesus Christ. We don't practice this so that we, we can get God to love us. God has loved us from the very beginning of the foundations of the world in Christ Jesus. In solitude, we simply respond to God And I want to give us an opportunity to do that right now. I know it's October, but this is an early Christmas gift I want to give you. The gift of stillness in this moment. As a people, as New Yorkers, we go from one thing to the next. And every single day God says to you, would you slow down? Every single day God's trying to get your attention. And inviting you to communion with him. And that's what the gift I want to give you right now. And so, for two minutes, we're going to take time to be with God. And here's my simple instructions When, not if, when your mind gets distracted, I want you to have a simple phrase that you say in your heart, not out loud. That phrase is, Jesus, here I am. When your mind gets distracted about, hmm, I wonder what we're gonna have for lunch after church today. Oh, Jesus, here I am. When you close your eyes and you go, you start having imaginary arguments in your mind. If she says that to me, I'll say that to her. No, no, Jesus, here I am. When your mind goes to all kinds of, Jesus, very gently, Here I am. And so I want to give us the gift of two minutes of that, and then we'll close our service. Let me invite you to take a deep breath in and out. One more, deep breath in and out. The very air you breathe is the life of God. And let's open ourselves up to the presence of Jesus over two minutes, and then we'll close our service together. Let's begin. Lord Jesus, thank you for your presence, which is better than life. Thank you for the ways you move towards us in love, and you invite us to cultivate time with you. And so, Lord, give us grace from the Spirit. Give us deep desire of heart, and when that desire is not there, may it be met with discipline that emerges from your grace to pursue you more and more. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. amen. Let's all stand together.